In this episode of Common Sense Amia, we'll be talking to one of the most interesting people that we at Canon Planners get to work with. As the director of technology for the Mississippi-based medical dispensary and CBD company, Southern Sky Brands, operating in a brand new market, just barely a year old, our guest today has a lot on his plate. We share a similar background that I'm very eager to get into. DJ Kingblind himself, he's here. Morgan Engel, welcome to Common Sense Mia. Thanks for being hey, here. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to see you. Well, I, I'm jealous. Everybody, whenever... And we kind of mentioned it in the intro there, but full disclosure, Southern Sky and you in particular are clients of Canna Planners. So as my kind of evolution happens with a company, like, you know, things change and I I don't get to be on the client calls. You know, I don't know the clients the same way that I used to a couple of years ago. It's yeah. just part of it's just part of the game. You know, like I I now have employees who have, you know, handle all these relationships and it's it's bittersweet. And especially when like the whole team's on a call with Southern Sky, and I'm sitting in my office being like, <laughs> what are you guys doing? <laughs> Who are you talking to? Why are you laughing? That sounds like you're having fun. We always, I truly, <laughs> and I mean this with all my heart, we look forward to those calls, and we are normally tears coming down our face laughing about something. We have, a, we love you guys. You guys are a, a huge uh, asset to our company. It. It's a big part of, you know, that's... Uh, I wish I could say every client interaction that we always have is like that. And a lot of them are, but really like the success of all of anything that we do really comes down to that trust and being able to like have a, a, a convivial relationship and just, you know, be cool humans who just want to crush it. And luckily we all have that in common. So I appreciate yeah. you saying that. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about music if we can. We might not right. even talk about weed and, and except for me rocking the hoodie and you rocking the tea, like we might not even talk about Southern Sky in this thing. We might just talk about music. I, you... I live and breathe Southern Sky, so I'm happy to talk about both. <laughs> well, well, let's start. At the, let's start at the beginning. So okay. talk talk to me about a little bit about your history of music and, and maybe even a, a bit about your radio show. Yeah, so um, I went to school for music originally and as any sort of uh, aspiring musician, I've going bands and um, toured around a bunch. I grew up in Southern California originally and then moved to Seattle, Washington. And then um, my girlfriend at the time now, my wife uh, and a friend of ours had a bright idea that we'd move to Atlanta, Georgia and uh, open up a club. So we did that sort of, I'd never been in the state of Georgia before. My, mm. my dad's from Alabama and my mom is from Kentucky. And I'd been all through the South, but you would always sort of turn up and stop at Alabama. I'd never been in Georgia until the day that I moved there in a moving truck with everything that I owned. Mm -hmm. uh, so we rolled into that state and uh, did that for about eight years. And uh, and during that time, was fortunate when enough. When was that? Like early 2000s. Early 2000s? Early 2000s, yeah. Uh, and, and played drums and with a bunch of different bands and had fun. It was great. And then sort of my minor in school was computer science thank god <laughs> <laughs> you can only be a, a musician for so long totally and, uh, and then i came back to the the pacific northwest and worked uh, for big advertising companies i worked for microsoft advertising i worked for nordstrom corporate and worked in business development there and uh, a lot of different things and then um my brother-in-law runs southern sky brands we're a brand, like you said, we are, we're a brand, we're, we're, we're a seed to store. So we have the, we're 
it's quite an operation. We have a 70,000 square foot facility in Canton, Mississippi, which is a suburb of Jackson, the capital. Um, we'll be opening dispensaries and we'll be selling to dispensaries, but we are, um, yeah, just getting our product to market. And it's it's crazy seeing like the evolution of that whole thing. And it's, it's sort of that background in music and like having no idea what you're doing, opening the club and like yeah. going in there and just sort of a total startup mentality. Yeah. Help me sort of get through the things that I'm going through now that sort of like, if you can like get to your life where you live on slices of pizza and sleeping on people's floors. Yeah. You're not scared of a lot of things. Truly. Let me ask, let me ask you this because this is, this is kind of what I want to spend the first bit of this interview talking to you about is yeah. kind of, um, the life on the road mentality and especially like, so, so just for context and just to share what we have in common, um, this company Planners, is full of musicians and it's full of washed up musicians <laughs> so, sure. to like, we're all, or a bunch of washed up. The only one still working is, is our CMO Zach who plays drums in like four different bands around town in Burlington, uh, and crushes it and loves it. Um, the rest of us are maybe, a little more typical in our stage of life where maybe we still, maybe we're still a little bitter. We still have a little <laughs> slice of resentment in us. Uh, a little bit of that, maybe still carrying around a chip on our shoulder for uh, why we didn't play at the Fillmore or radio city or any of those things. But I, I'm curious because at that time, and I've talked about this a couple of times with a few other musical, uh, you know, guests who, who have music, musical backgrounds, but I'm curious your insight uh, so Josh Cleaver and I are the creative director for Canna Planners and myself, we were in a band together and we toured the country for years together, sleeping on, a, on, you know, floors of shitty hotels and, or not even hotels, motels, um, which makes those floors even shittier, um, oh, sharing work. slices of pizza, you know, being, being like being really like actually poor, um, and not really having the perspective you know, obviously hindsight's 2020. So I'm curious, like while you were in it and drums, man, cause you're, you know, it's not like you had a roadie, you know, you don't go out on the road as successful, you don't start off being a successful band, you carrying those drums. I'm carrying all these guitars, you know, it, it gets to be uh tiresome, but I'm curious, like, were you aware of kind of the Jack Kerouacian uh, nature of life at the time? Were you self-aware to be like, I'm living life and maybe this isn't what forever will look like, but I'm going to, I'm going to understand and, and contextualize these experiences because I will say I did not. Yeah, we had two, we had two sayings in some bands I was in and most predominantly was, we said, kill tomorrow tonight. Yeah. That's <laughs> so interesting. We left, it was very much sort of in the moment and it wasn't until we, um, when you're in the southeastern United States, you basically you have this dream of playing New York City and you drive up to New York and you come back and you play to, you know, two people and then you play to 10 people and you play to 100 people and you play yeah. to a thousand people. You know what I mean? Yep. Just doing that route and kind of going back and forth and doing that sort of thing. There's there's moments in there. And this is just to date myself. Nobody has cell phones. We have maps that we've sat in the practice room and highlighted the route up to, you know. Yeah then you know up to boston and and back down and just sort of went for it and just sort of blindly like i remember like pulling over and trying to find enough change to call the promoter to make sure that you know what time load in was because yeah 
Or you would call, you know, like two weeks before the tour started, you'd call everybody at once and be like, that's it. And just hope everybody remembered everything <laughs> that's happened. And yeah, unbelievably, most of the time, it just sort of worked out. Yeah, you I know? don't think I've told this story on the podcast, but I can remember clearly um, arriving to a gig in Cleveland. And we would do the same thing. Now, granted, we had Internet access. You know, this is in the early 2000s. So it's, you know, limited. Our cell phones are, are you know, StarTac flip phones. So they're not, you know very helpful, but we do the same thing. We would confirm, you know, all the legs of the tour. And I can remember rolling into this club and we got there, you know, we'd been on the road for six weeks and you roll into the club at like 11 AM or, you know, noon or something. And you got to just hang out for 10 hours before you hit the stage. Yeah. And I can remember walking into this place um, and uh, opening the kitchen door, meeting the owner and saying, Hey, we're the band tonight. And he'll be, and he goes, oh yeah, just, uh, I'll be right out. And then watching him run like through the window, run <laughs> away. <laughs> he ran away because he forgot that like he'd gone out of business and he forgot to cancel all the bookings. So he just, he literally were like, Hey, isn't that the guy? <laughs> wow. So you, yeah. you take some, you learn some lessons on the road, right? I mean, you just beyond experiencing life. Like there's for sure, there's for sure business lessons happening out there and, and professional just hurdles left and right. Yeah. I mean, just the sort of resourcefulness, being resourceful is an absolute understatement. I don't know how bands, it wasn't easy to tour then and it's not easy to tour. I mean, it's probably no. harder to tour now because it's got to be harder to tour now. Yeah. Beyond COVID, like I can't even imagine like, even like, especially like, are, are people in, do people even join real bands anymore or is it all? I, I mean, <laughs> I know Sorry. a lot of people. Get and, off my lawn. And, and, and warts and all people still join bands and play music. And yeah. um, I, like I, I, I ran into, I ran into COVID and was my wife and I would go on these mile long miles and miles. We walked five, 10 miles and uh, walk and I would start just thinking about music and I couldn't play. There's nobody to play with. Can't be around people. And that's where originally when I started my podcast, mm. it's called the big beat music podcast. That's at King blind, DJ King blind.com. And we will um, link it I, in the description for sure. Yeah. And I did DJ King blind.com as a uh, sort of a, just an outlet, like a creative outlet and yeah. things. So I did a hundred and five of those in a row, like without fail doing every single one. And then I was sort of 105 ideas sort of in a row, you know, it's, it was a little, uh, and let's explain real quick. Like you're actually, so the show you're actually, you're not just playing music. I mean, you do that, but you, the first, you know, five, 10, maybe 15 minutes of the show, are you, um, you know, doing a monologue about whatever that particular show is about. So you did one about, you know, happy songs and you do it. You would talk about why these songs are happy. By the way, I have a, we'll go through this later, but I'd like to do a, we're, we're going to update some of these lists and I'm, I'm curious some of your opinions, but sure. yeah, yeah. So you, you do this monologue and then play the yeah, music. And, that is and talk about it. And then I realized yeah. everything was planned out and sort of the beauty and, and I, and playing in bands and, and, and knowing friends that own bars and, and and all that i dj'd on the side always records um yeah all vinyl uh about 99 percent of the time and um so i i did that for a, a long time and i came up with this name dj king blind as a spinoff of this 
David Sedaris story. I saw David Sedaris live and he, uh, anyways, I came up with King Blind based upon this joke that David, David Sedaris had and um, uh, just started doing that. And I, uh, I was reached out to uh, this little radio station in Portland, Oregon called Shady Pines Radio. And they had uh, seen my podcast or listened to my podcast and said that I want a DJ. And I said, I'm not, a, I don't live in Portland, Oregon. And they said, you can remote in to, uh, to our radio station. Um, so if Thursdays at 10 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, I do that. Uh, and I remote in and I live DJ. And live DJing is a whole, like, if you want to talk about, like, having a little more resolution, not sitting down and, and playing in a band with friends, live DJing on air while like and i can see people like listening to things like that and you get thousands and thousands of people listening to that it's a pretty invigorating experience even though i'm in my yeah. crazy little office here and you can probably see turntables behind me sure um i have that exact stanton deck oh nice they're cheap <laughs> and they they work well so yeah it was very you know cathartic sort of working through things so i've done 56 in a row of of shady pines radio and that's called Kings of the Vinyl Frontier. And is there is a awesome. format like you specifically are are following, or are you just trying to expose whatever you're feeling? They just kind of like give you some free the, reign, or sort of the same. Um, the same initial thought was when I first started doing it was, um, like rock and punk and northern soul and sort of all things in between, and then it really got a lot more broad. That spectrum really went out, and sometimes there's it's just whatever i have on a recording of and i have a lot of records so mm -hmm. there's it's pretty formatless at this time you know what i mean i don't play a lot of bossa yeah. nova or things like that but sort of like this tonight's episode is all music from i constantly there's a really great record store where i live called easy street records and you'll always see people like there's no good new bands i buy these records there's no good new bands yeah all right some good go. new bands huh who are some good new bands that you're listening to? Um, I like Fontaine's DC. It's an Irish band called Fontaine's DC. I like Idols quite a bit. Idols okay. uh, are from yeah, Bristol. Um, Mets. Uh, they're not particularly new band. They're a sub pop band. Metz. They're Canadians. Uh, Civic is a good band. Uh, Viagra Boys. You've ever heard <laughs> Great of them? Name. That sounds like a punk band. Oh, they're a punk band for sure. Yeah. Snapped Ankles. They're another English band. Definitely they're... a great punk band name. Yeah, it's great. I would like the biggest recommendation like that I can give to people is every morning my wife and I get up and BBC Six Music. There's this DJ. His name is Mark Riley. He's on at 11 a.m. Pacific time. So you can translate that to wherever you are. And he used to be the bass player in the fall, a famous post-punk band. And every day that guy's just dropping music where you're like, what is this? And it's about, I don't know, 85% new stuff. If you think that you live in a town where, or an area where you can't find new music and you need inspiration, BBC Six Music, you can go to their website or download the app for free. It's like a, a spring of indie cool. inspiration. It's beautiful. I land KEXP.org. Love KEXP. Yeah, KX pretty KXP is pretty good, but I think BBC is my winner. BBC Six Music and and certain DJs, Gideon Co and Mark Riley are very inspirational. That's awesome. I think I just um, my employees sh finally shamed me into getting a Spotify account. Okay, been, you know, been such an old man and just using a Pandora account for the last 
forever. And yep. finally got myself a Spotify account. And <clears throat> you can do this thing where you, we actually, the office, everybody in the office, we have like, we can share our accounts. Yeah. And it, like the algorithm takes bits of all, all the music that everybody is individually listening to and creates new playlists. Yeah. So I'm constantly getting exposed to new music now because everybody in my company is way younger than I am. So it's, it's, it's important. I mean, I hadn't been listening to new music in so long, you know, I just get stuck in the same shit I'd been listening to since I was like 12, you know, like how many live grateful dead albums could I possibly listen to? You know, every one of them, all of them. If you go, so yeah, it's, it's great. I, I, we, we shouldn't have a Spotify conversation because I do adore what that company can do, but I hate what they do to musicians. They do nothing yeah. for musicians and they're killing people that I know's livelihood. Well, find me a, find me a hero in the music industry and I'll find you a villain. You know, that's true. Yeah. If, yeah. if it wasn't, if it wasn't Spotify, it was, you know, well, it would be someone else. It'd be Apple. Yeah. It'd be, yeah, it'd be something. Capital it's Records. Truly, or... truly. Yeah. But as long as people are listening to music, it's, it's really good. Absolutely. And going to see music, that's where, that's where these bands make their money. Like really it's like the t-shirts you buy and the hoodies and like, that's yeah, the stuff, you know, that's the stuff that actually. I don't know that people realize actually how much it really makes a difference. Yeah. Expensive, you know? Yeah. What band you, you've been, I, I've been hearing about a couple bands recently who have been, you know, on the surface, you know, observer would be like, these guys are crushing it. Uh, you know, they're playing medium to largish size rooms, but they're hanging it up because they can't, you know, they can't, they're not making any money because there's, there's some like, there's some fine line between, you know, what you can do in the clubs in terms of making money and then arenas, that thing in the middle is really like a huge spectrum and it's either very expensive to play a theater or, you know, so. So I have, I'm, I'm, if, I don't know how much you know about metal, but there's a Atlanta band called Mastodon. They won Grammy oh, Awards. Mastodon. They, they sell a lot of records. Yeah. Um, and they can't make a living touring and playing music. And when they were on, they were on Relapse, this little label. And when they got signed to this Warner subsidiary, the very first thing that happened, their management said, okay, we're, you're going to make money and you're going to start buying property. Every bit of money that you have, you're going to start buying houses. You're going to do this sort of thing. The very first deal you're going to make is with, uh, I think it was Spencer's Gifts. You know, Spencer's like in the mall. <laughs> yeah, 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 in the mall. And we're gonna, Blacklight we're gonna, poster store. We're going to make all of these t-shirts and you're going to have an exclusive deal to sell to like these stores like this all over the world, these exclusive license agreements, because this is how you're going to make money. Here's, you know, 10,000 shirts and they pay for 10,000 shirts all at once. And we're going to keep doing these recurring deals with them, with these different sort of Spencers and stores like that all over the world. So they worked on like marketing deals. They work there in they're in movie soundtracks. They're in, you know, all sorts of things. They do. They're on Cameo, you know, Cameo, where you can like say, hey, yeah. Bill from Mastodon, happy birthday, Cindy. Yeah. You know what I mean? They do cameo appearances. They give guitar. You can go to a Mastodon show and if you email them in advance. And want to learn their songs, you can sit backstage with them and they'll show you how to play the guitar parts. They're scrappy people that want to play music for a living. And that's how they've won a Grammy, Will, and they do this. That's how hard yeah. things are out there. 
Yeah, that's wild. It's mind-boggling. What What was the final straw for you? Was there one? Like, just yeah. in terms of, like, living on the road and doing that whole thing? Like, what was it for you? It was a combination of <laughs> I needed to be, remain married. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it was that bars in Atlanta then closed at 4 a.m., so if you were oh. if you were on tour or you were not on tour, if you're not on tour, you're in a club working. That's your job, right? Yeah. And you're gonna have a four o'clock in the morning. If you're a musician, you're not going to bed till like four or five in the morning. So you just realize the people that you know, God bless them. There's a lot of kooky people that go to bed at six o'clock in the morning every day. Um, <laughs> and it's just sort of like just sort of wears on that you can't like you. I I didn't go to brunch for like nearly a decade because I I had to sleep. Yeah. I never had lunch. You know what I mean? There was no concept of lunch or time or people or holidays or things you had to do. Your whole world was in this totally different access than everyone else. And when you would come off the road, you felt like there was this really weird, like sticker shock of getting back to like humanity and yes. then not talking to the same four people that were in the van with me that I had to interact with other people about I didn't have a schedule anymore. I didn't know what time I had to be at sound check. I didn't know what, like when I was supposed to feed myself, you start going crazy, man. Yeah. You're in this, there, you know, touring, you're in this weird system. I do. I, I do. And I actually, what you bring up is, is really interesting. And it's actually a note I have here. So like what you're, what you're talking about, I relate to completely. And it's not, um, it's not, being a prima donna or a diva, like what you're saying, like, I didn't know where to be. And I needed someone to tell me like, that's actually true because your brain it's because you get stupider. Like, honestly, your brain is getting dumber and it's not that you need someone to like, I, I'm too good to know where I'm supposed to be because I'm in, a, I'm in the band or whatever. It's like, I literally don't know where I, I even am right now. Like, I don't know. Is this, what city is this? But you, you know, know like, that whole joke of like, we're like, and you see it. Yeah, like the band. Simpsons episode it'll, when it'll when yeah. <laughs> the Simpsons episode where like I don't I, it's like Metallica or the Who and they're like good night and they look at the back of the guitar and they're like Springton, <laughs> you know, it's like that. It's like where are we? <laughs> but it would say on the top of set list. It would say cities. Yeah, yeah. Right make sure you always wrote at the top. So if you were just like, like where where did Columbus, Ohio go? I don't remember. Like. Yeah, or being in Columbus and saying good night, Cleveland. <laughs> but whatever. But you would write them, and bands to this day still do it. You just are like, right? You live a sort of compart compartmentalized sort of lifestyle, and it's okay. Um, so here's what I want to get to because I remember this. I like that feeling actually brought me a lot of sadness because what I would do is I'd be in the the van or whatever, and we'd be on whatever highway in middle America. And I'd be thinking about my friends I graduated college with who were like working for Lehman brothers or some bullshit. You know what I mean? And I'd be like, that's the life for that's like, that's what I'm missing. And they were just living life. Like I would just project onto them what I thought like being a normal person looked like, because yeah. that's what all my friends from school were. They were just being normal people. Um, they weren't living this vampiric lifestyle of, you know, it is a vampiric lifestyle. That's, that's yeah. well said. Well, and so, so I remember that feeling and it was like really depressing being like, holy shit. Like I'm now 27 and like, 
I don't even know how to balance my checkbook. I don't even know what state I'm in right now. And my friends are getting married or they just got promoted or he just bought a house. Like, how the fuck did he buy a house? Like, I don't even know how to tie my shoes. I can't even plug my guitar in by myself. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like all these things, but, but being like, and that was part of the thing that eventually led to the, for me, uh, the destruction of my band and, and the end of my sort of existence on the road, which is I, the grass is always greener. And for me, like I didn't particularly like playing in the club until three in the, you know, like in those Southern States, you'd play till three in the morning in New York city. There's no closing time. The no. bar closes when the last patron leaves and that could yeah. be like six, seven, eight in the morning. <laughs> like it's, it's insane. Yeah. It's so, not scalable. It's this is not healthy. And then you like, I mean, you're eating terribly. You drink too much. You sleep like crazy. You're not making any money. Like, you're not making like, I, I remember like being just so broke. The, our guitar player was a relatively handsome individual, and we would send him out to like go talk to those girls and sell T-shirts because we don't have any gas money. Yeah, like we just ate with the money that they paid us. We have no way to get out off the highway, you know, onto the highway. Yes, <laughs> we like it was like everyone go like quit what you're doing and go sell something. It was our only like. You want to talk about a hard sell? You want to buy this single? You want to buy this CD? You want to buy this T-shirt? Like, they weren't leaving until somebody handed us some money. Well, talk to me about like being, you, you know, discovering your entrepreneurial roots, or at least being able to figure out, you know, how to be self-sufficient with what you've got, which is a stack of CDs and a bunch of T-shirts. You know. Well, I the. We toured with this band from San Diego called Deadbolt, and those guys were so great at selling merchandise and so resourceful and so cheap that they would go to like Costco's or Walmart's on tour and buy shirts. And then they'd be in the hotel room. And they're like, what are you doing? It's like, we're making shirts. What are you guys doing? And you're like, what are they talking about? And they could screen their own shirts in bathrooms, of which would destroy the the shower in a bathroom in a motel. And screen all of their own shirts and they're like this chemically induced coma that they were in from hanging t-shirts because then you go to sleep with 50 t-shirts hanging up that are full of chemicals. Yeah. <laughs> sleep, wake up, shake them off, throw them in the box and you have 50 more t-shirts, but they were pulling their own shirts yep. just because it was so much cheaper. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, talk to me about that, like assimilating back into you know, non-band life. Like what, what were those months like after you kind of put the drums down for a minute professionally and we're trying to get back into, you know, get your sleep back, eat dinner at a normal hour, maybe sleep eight full hours. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was sort of getting a job, getting, yeah, getting a job was interesting, but I Tell had, like I it. said, my, my minor did sort of help that I was always like the guy if something broke at the club or something or the POS system went down or whatever. I They didn't call people. I was the guy that was able to fix it, which was a pretty handy trait to have. Yeah. But it was just sort of coming back. Uh, I guess by the time I left Atlanta, you kind of come back to the Pacific Northwest, which is a very tech-centric place. Yeah, it, it, I just sort of fell into that. And yeah, you're surrounded. Parts. I mean, Microsoft's from there. You know, there's so much is happening in, up there. Yeah, it's Microsoft and Amazon and Facebook and Apple and like all of the offices are here. Yeah, um, they have like 
city blocks of Amazon building and spheres and like Microsoft campuses that are size of universities and things like that. It's it's I mean Microsoft has two hundred and thirty five thousand employees. It's wild. I don't think people realize the scale of those companies. So I came back and I worked for this advertising company and I was really interested in the concept of advertising and the do's and don'ts of what you're able to do. And I worked for this company called Atlas. <clears throat> and um, Microsoft and Google were at this advertising holy war with each other. And Atlas got purchased by Microsoft and became Microsoft Advertising. And our competitors, DoubleClick, got purchased by Google. Mm. But we got purchased for $6.5 billion, which was okay. a record at the time. It like broke some sort of record. But that taught me this sort of foundational thing of this very small company that was infused with a bunch of cash where it was sort of the opposite effect of like you're being scrappy, but like what happens if you're able to make this sort of tool and influence advertising decisions and you certain then you suddenly had a limitless budget? What does that war look like? What does that sort of thing look like? So you sort of changed from being like starved and fed and trying to figure out how to do things with nothing to being given too much. You know what I mean? Like I don't yeah. want to eat dinner. I just need a taco. Right. <laughs> but it sort of helped you sort of balance resources. And then naturally as sort of startups do when you have access to too much information and or too much resources and you sort of waste through it, you realize what you've done to budgets and things like that because they yeah. set something in front of us was sort of a, a lesson in humility to figure out that we wouldn't screw the whole thing up. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, and just to be able to sort of balance that act. But it went from like balancing things on a, a West coast level to balancing things on an international level. You know what I mean? So it's yeah, sort of wildly different, wildly different. And that sort of those lessons in, in Seattle really translated into a, a pretty lean team that we have in, in Canton, Mississippi at Southern sky that we all have Steve Merritt, the CEO of the company is my brother-in-law. So he called me because I knew that I had a, a solid tech and advertising background. Our director of marketing and our director of retail and wholesale, Steve used to uh, run his own business called the Flight Station that made like luggage and sold uh, uniforms to Delta Airlines. He used to like figure out how to make his own luggage in his garage with his business partner. This is like a highly, highly driven individual to figure out how I'm going to succeed and do this and put food on the table for my family is like mind-blowing so when someone like that a i love him he's family someone like with that sort of wherewithal comes at you um hey i'm, I'm gonna work for this marijuana company we're gonna build a seventy thousand square foot facility and i was like um my experience with cannabis was i i don't i didn't smoke weed i i've had cancer twice mm -hmm. and my uh experience with it was um from getting over those treatments and being sick and getting over nausea and things like that and using it, that sort of thing. Yeah. I just didn't like, I could party and drink and do mushrooms or whatever. I just didn't do good smoking pot. I just kicked my butt too much. Sure. I used to be a, a, a pretty heavy cigarette smoker and I just wasn't good at smoking weed and I'm still not particularly good at it. Um, but I, I really understood the thing, this sort of lightning bolt in my head was that, um, I felt this really weird disconnection because I was working with this company where I didn't understand the benefit of this product that we had. I see. 
Well, and let's talk. I, let me let me ask you about that real quick because you're you're in Seattle, right? You're you're on the in the Pacific Northwest, so you're yeah. exposed to the biggest market uh, legal marketplace, the oldest mar- legal marketplace Huge. in the country. It's yeah. absolutely enormous. Um, you know, even all of it, um, every state up around your area is crushing it. Um, so you must at least be anecdotally aware of the industry and kind of what's happening. I'm sure there's dispensaries in your town, maybe even near you. Like you see these businesses pop up. What was your, and Steve, your brother-in-law calls you one day. Like, what are you thinking beyond believing in your brother-in-law, which is, that's awesome. I, I love that familial just trust. That's great. But I'm curious, like, what was the opportunity? You know, like, what did you see in in terms of like a future? Because let's face it, Mississippi, it's just it just went medical, right? It's not yeah. particularly known to be the most progressive of the the 50 states. Um, what opportunity did you see there that you weren't seeing in your own backyard? Again, beyond your brother in law. There's two things. One, I saw Hit what with it. what cannabis could do. There's 20, 21 conditions that will be growing that people can qualify to get cannabis for in the state of Mississippi. And I saw what that actually did. I don't really think of cannabis. I think a lot of of, people think of cannabis and think of like fun and getting high and like a release or something like that, like having a cocktail. I don't. I think about like how like terrible I felt uh, and the sort of relief that I got from it. I think about it very medicinally. You mean coming out of like going through cancer treatments, how terrible it's yeah. felt. And, and like, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't get easier. It's not like, Oh, this is the second sure. time it's easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a vet at this. I know what I'm doing. Your body gets smarter and it changes things and it makes it worse for you. So it was even worse still. Um, so the opportunity to be able to like create something where you're actually helping people as we would say in advertising, I worked. I, we used to say at Microsoft, we worked in the digital landfill business because we made digital landfill. Advertising is important and makes the internet free and blah, blah, blah. It's digital landfill. It's noise. There's the reason there's ad blockers and something. You're not really like, it's not soul fulfilling work. It's not meaningful content. It's not. And the opportunity every day. Usually. Truly to feel like that I'm learning something. Like right before you and I talked, I'm on the phone with, marketing director director cindy and we have these great she's a great friend of mine we have these sort of great tug of wars like trying to figure out what's the best and and the argument not argument the discussion we were having is like what's the most effective way to educate people that are just us make an assumption about marijuana you know what i mean they make an assumption mm-hmm. about what this thing is but they don't really know at all and how do we educate these people and and have them understand what a terpene is or an endocannabinoid system and all of those things that we do, we knew going into this that we had this sort of vault of information that we we're going to. And to be honest with you, there's no other company in Mississippi or that I can find in the southeastern United States and most of America that has so much of a focus. Everyone talks about wanting to educate the consumers mm. every day. And you guys are a part of that tool for us, writing blog posts and um the SEO that we do and the videos that we make and like the maps that we have to help people find practitioners, we're offering all of these sort of tools and educational resources that don't exist in other places. And every day, like we get um, letters from people talking about like how grateful they are and like what we're able to do. 
we started off initially because we realized we had this giant facility that we had to build and it's going to take a whole lot of time. We wanted to come to market first and sort of like flex our marketing muscle to figure out what to do is how we ran into you because there wasn't enough of us to be able to do it and we didn't have a budget. So we said, I, I need, I'm going to go find some people that can kind of help us with this because we're really smart at marketing products and advertising products, but we're not smart about cannabis and the legalities of it and the do's and don'ts and like what people, what is impactful to people and what isn't. And we didn't have the time to like sit and call 500 dispensaries up or walk in and talk to people. We needed sort of a lightning rod of knowledge and, uh, you know, a, a, a business compass. And truly, I know we said we weren't going to talk about planners, but that's what you guys do for us is you're sort of this true north for us. But it's true. Like we have a really good relationship with you. But we have so much going on day to day. Like we, you know, you are Southern Sky employees. I mean, we you're on you're you're on our monthly payroll. <laughs> but you guys well, sort of help us do this thing and help us sort of translate uh you know issues that we're sort of trying to work through. That's not just cannabis level problems, but it's like southern level problems. People make a lot of misconceptions about the South, and some people um, are, are spot on about the way they think. They're sort of scared of something that they're not aware of. Mm -hmm. uh, they think something's going to be maybe this sort of great evil, and then they sort of totally. learn about well, these is, things. You this, know, and This is a huge responsibility that I, again, and it's often a topic on this, on this podcast, which is there's a responsibility that cannabis companies, whether it's a CBD company, a medical dispensary, or, you know, the dopest, hippest dab rig company, you know, whatever you are, whatever, yeah. wherever you fall in the spectrum of cannabis company, it doesn't matter because you have a responsibility uh, to, to educate your, no matter what your brand focus is, like what your brand kind of messaging is, it doesn't matter. There still should be a responsible educational component. And that's just smart business beyond, beyond it being a, a smart tactic. It's smart business for the exact reason what you're talking about, Morgan, which is, and this isn't just the South, this is nationally, you know, like, you know, yeah. we, we, we could assume some huge percentage of people in this country who don't, uh, who aren't investigating the, you know, the, the uses of cannabis because they've been brainwashed by Nixonian regulations or fucking Nancy Reagan or dare or cops, you know, like any of those things, they've had a huge impact on this country. So if you're a good business person, you're thinking about normalization in terms of not only like responsibility to the plant, but the responsibility to unbrainwash all these people who might be your customer. But it's what we do every <laughs> single day. I mean, to the point where the state of Mississippi for a short period of time made it. So our website and we had this yeah. panic call with Beth and Ryan and Zach. Mm -hmm. We couldn't have cannabis imagery, Im imagery up. Right. Which they realized that was sort of silly. Right. And part of part of this normalization that you talk about is is that, you know what I mean? It's totally that. It's totally that. And, and to you and I, like. that, sound, that sounds like what? Like, that sounds ridiculous. On, on the scale of ridiculousness from state regulation, uh, you know, uh, from a state regulatory standpoint, not ridiculous. There's way stupider things happening in cannabis regulation than not being able to show pictures of cannabis on your own cannabis company website. Like, it's so great. like, what do you think we're selling? <laughs> like, yeah. But, 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 but to your point, that's right. Like to your point, you're, you're spot on about 
you know, the, the, the responsibility of, of normal, you know, uh, of spreading a message of normalization to everybody. It starts with the legislatures, the legislators, um, who probably have to, they don't get it and they have to be the mediator between, you know, the lobbyist or, you know, the, the cannabis business person and their constituents, you know, they have to then go back and say like, here's, you know, it's a nightmare. Um, so yes, creating, creating content and content is just one part of it. It should be, you know, your messaging, your company culture, every aspect of your brand should be, there should be part of it is, you know, uh, to add to your bottom line. And the other half of it should be to educate and, you know, unbrainwash people. And that's why we started making CBD tinctures, oils, lotions, balms, gummies, um, is to what's a beautiful product page look like? How do we start telling the story of like healing with CBD and, you know, how do we talk about the endocannabinoid system? How do we talk about these percentages? So by the time we get to flower and we're selling that sort of thing, which we're doing now, we had this sort of like, Hey, this works with people. This doesn't work with our consumers. This is impactful. You know, this isn't impactful. So we were able to and come up with a, a, a revenue stream while we're waiting to actually sell uh, marijuana to, to people. Um, but it was a great sort of exercise that we were lucky enough to be able to have this interim period. And that's where you guys came in because we have to make a complicated, we have to make a store, which we've made with WooCommerce with you guys, that we'll have to take down to build another store again because yeah. you know, when we get dispensaries open. But we're having yeah. like, it's all of these sort of things yeah, it's it's evolving and finding the right partners to do it with you. And again, I appreciate your your compliments on on my team and the work we've done for you. We've loved every second of it. It's always exciting. You know, here we are up Canna Planners up in Burlington, Vermont. Uh, Zach had a gig. It was supposed to have a gig this weekend, and this is not bullshit. The gig was he's supposed to have a gig on Saturday night, canceled yeah. because they're expecting negative forty degree temperatures. So they canceled the gig anyway. Like that's all to say, like we're so it's so fun to be able to like have an impact on markets so far away from Burlington. Like, you know, yeah. we got our toe, we got our toes dipping in, in Mississippi and it's awesome. We love seeing what's happening there. So let me, let me ask you this because the, yeah. you know, your transition from a, a purely a CBD company to now a medical dispensary, which that, that happened. A medical brand, we, a medical brand that, that happened pretty quick with dispensaries, dispensaries. Right, yeah. with dispensaries on the way. Yeah. Um, how do you think, and I know it's so soon to tell because you haven't yet opened the retail, but like, how are you already planning out for an eventual rec market? Because that's how this works, right? First medical comes. And usually, you know, I imagine for most States, it takes many, many years before rec market, uh, follows the the medical market, but I have a feeling it's going to be a little quicker in Mississippi, but I'm curious, like how you're I, already thinking about that. So we have to think about uh, several things. We have to think about initially our patient count, right? And what our patient mm-hmm. count is, it's about 2000 people, which is very, very, very low. You know, if you think yeah. about like Arkansas, which is about a similar economic condition and population as we are there are about 64,000 people. We've only, about a weekend of selling marijuana. Right, it's, new, it's brand new. Brand new. It's brand new. It's been, you know, a year plus that we've been sort of this company and building things and selling things, but it's uh, getting, pro- there's only, there's 
there'll be many, many dispensaries. I think there's only 10 dispensaries open right now and there's two mm-hmm. labs, but there's all of these cultivators having product and they're like, and only two labs to yeah. put them into. So there's this sort of bottleneck effect. So we have to get the patient count up. We have to the entire time build our dispensary and build a network of dispensaries, which will uh, grow and thrive and, you know, and sort of normalize. And we have to get to the point of normalization where they see in the South, I believe, the benefit of normalizing the message to people mm-hmm. and the benefit that growing legal cannabis in the state does economically for a state that really needs money. You know what I mean? The economic impact that cannabis can have potentially in the Magnolia state is substantial. It can be, if things go as we hope, it's going to be one of the largest, not not the largest crop in the entire state. Which I, w- I will say in my experience, having gone through this in a couple different states that, and it's weird because you would think the opposite is true. Legislature Legislators don't necessarily... That's that is not necessarily important to legislators. The amount of potential tax revenue that uh, cannabis sales could potentially generate is almost irrelevant to them. It's always going to come down to public safety and kids always like always, always, always. And uh, so as long as you, you know, you, you can speak to that and you can point to other states and how because that's always the argument. Um, and how you can defeat that argument because it's just like that's normalization. The you know the the arguments the the uh, the, uh, the arguments you'll hear um, will be the same sort of things that have been echoed through prohibition over the last hundred years when it comes to cannabis. Um, so they'll be easy to kind of take down, especially by you guys, especially by Steve, who uh, can talk like the best of them. Um, you know, making sure that you guys are well equipped to, you know, making money is one thing, but it's how do we handle public safety on this? And yeah, you guys will have have that under wraps, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. And it's something that we we talk about all the time. It's part of the story that we tell, and we just recently did again in our, our blog post that we worked on together is um, just even the way our products grown and how our products different. Like we we're. That there's not a lot of places that grow cannabis that grow them in food grade facilities. Like we're mm-hmm. a medical and food grade facility. We have like if you manufacture food, it has different mm-hmm. paint on the wall. They don't use normal paint. They right. do things that don't collect bacteria and things like that. We're to that level of detail in our state, making sure that we have the safest medicine for the people of Mississippi. There's like a tremendous amount spent every single day to ensure that sort of level of detail and and safety for people. And it's like you said, some of that just takes time as well. Yeah. Talk to me Um, about that a little more. I'm I'm curious, like what Steve and, and some of the other, uh, you know, boot you and the other boots on the ground, what are you guys hoping your impact is in Mississippi? Um, what, what's Southern sky doing differently? I think we're doing everything differently. Great. It sort of confuses me, and I'll, this is going to sound like I'm tooting my own, or we're tooting our own horn, but maybe we are. You go, girl. Go for it. I, <laughs> I just said, I don't understand. We know who our competitors are, or even in the region. Like, yeah. why aren't they doing anything? And Steve says, <laughs> Morgan, I don't think they know what to do. 
You yeah. haven't. You, you have right. this background. Cindy has this marketing. You know, has been a great marketing director, and Hunter has this great yes. sales experience. They don't have that sort of experience. Like we had. Like we're. You will, you will find this more and more, which is like a, uh, and I'm not no pun intended, but a, a greenness to um, how how this you know how people approach this industry there and it's a lot different now than it was when when i got into it but the business acumen um used to be non-existent now there are companies like you that have a marketing director who has an experience outside of cannabis and a sales director who you know sold a bunch of stuff outside of you know like all these people who have um outside industry experience which is valuable because that's how that's how your company's going to grow you have to like kind of take what you know you know same with can of planners. We all had, you know, prior experience doing this outside yeah. of cannabis before bringing it to cannabis. It's, it's hugely important, but yeah, Steve's absolutely right. You know, he's, you have to be thinking about this. Most, I bet I would, I would think probably none of them have ever started businesses before. And, um, Steve, has, Steve has, and well, and, I, I mean, competitors and things like that. Oh no, I, I don't think so. But no? a whole lot of things, I mean, an example of things we do different is the way everything's built. Mm. The way things are clean, the amount of sort of filtration in the air and on the walls and the cleanliness and the, the rules and procedures that we use. We regularly give tours of our facility. Most of our competitors and most companies are very like, you cannot come here. We're very open. Like we're we have such a great relationship with our city in Canton. The mayor of Canton is a medical cannabis practitioner. Mm. That's, awesome. That's unusual. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like, there's a real belief in like what we're doing as a company and things like that. Like when we had our grand opening for the building, it was like the fire department was there. The police department was there. The mayors were there, local business owners. That whole message is to like, not, not just us telling the message. We're like on the ground, getting people into our facility and like the gospel that is Southern sky brands and the gospel that is, the benefits of medical marijuana in the state of Mississippi are being spread on a daily basis by all of us. And we're trying to sort of make those, that gospel, not just, it's about us, but it's also about like these sort of benefits of like the crippling, like opioid addiction that exists in the Southeastern United States and like real relief that people need. Like I said, I, I, I run the info at, I, I get all the email from info at southernskybrands.com and people all the time just saying like, Thank you so much. You know, I I was on these painkillers and doctors just keep me, giving me more pain, you know, pain pills and, you know, how much your medicine's helping me. But it's it's crazy. Like, you know, it's wonderful to be able to hear it's that beautiful. sort of thing from individuals. It's moving, you know. Yeah, it definitely um, is. <laughs> to be able to tell them that. So, like, it makes you happy that we all made the decision to believe in Steve's vision of moving things forward to uh you know, to, to, to make this thing for people. And it's, you know, we're going to laugh six months from now. We'll laugh a year from now about like, you know, you're stubbing toes and walking into walls. But I sure. think that initial CBD launch and doing that sort of thing made it. So we're bumping into walls a lot less. Absolutely. You realize you're worrying about the wrong sort of things or you're in a messaging, the wrong sort of whatever, you know what I mean? Or the type of relationships that you're building. We sort of learned all of that in advance because we were having this message going the entire time. And like, the number of like construction update videos, you can tell like how many steel beams are in our building because we do updates all the time. Like we're here, we're doing this. Our building's still not done, but we're like, we have grow rooms and carrying rooms and 
you know, all of that sort of thing. It's still being finished. It's crazy. How how is how is the first few weeks been? I mean, obviously, you're, it sounds like you're getting some good feedback from from some of your customers. Like, what? Yeah, it, it's just what sort marketing of, challenges are you running into or not running into as you were trying to like grow a brand in this brand new, fresh, fresh space. I think it's. I think the the first thing that we're. I still think we need a little bit more time to be able to sort of accurately answer the question with like what the what we've learned so far because we're still sure. learning. It's too new. Yeah, yeah. What we're what we're, we've learned so far is perpetually in the system. There's these sort of bottlenecks of like, hey, we have all this product and we're ready to go, um, and a regulation will change from the Mississippi Department of Health, so we have to do something slightly different. And then we go to like, there's all of these cultivators, right? And there's two labs, like that's a whole lot of product going through two labs. And let's yeah. say a piece of lab equipment breaks, or let's say there's there, there's been issues with metric, not, not that there's anything wrong with metric, but that sort of reporting I system occasionally, oh, it, bro- it broke in our seed to sell tracking system. Oh, it broke in the lab. It's like all of these sort of like start and stops. You feel like you've mildly been whiplashed the entire time, sort of that, that the process, I, I, the lesson, I guess, is just sort of to be patient and wait to hear back from people about, about things. Um, but once that's done with the labs, like transportation is another, another bottleneck. There's only so many transportation companies because it's new. We'll get yeah. there. But like things in Mississippi are like, you know, scattered out all over the place to get products to people. It's a big state. Yeah. With not a lot of people in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's more There's more people in the Seattle, Tacoma metropolitan areas than there is the entire state of Mississippi. But there's a lot of really cool things there. A lot of like great areas to be selling these sort of products. Um, but it's just sort of everyone getting their sea legs right now. So the lesson is like, is patience. <laughs> the lesson right now is patience and and sea legs. And to realize that like everyone that you talk to has pretty much been through the same thing. You always think, you know what's happened? This has never happened before. Well, everything yeah. in cannabis has happened 10 million times before. And you just have sure. to like, you get anxious because you're like, this is the thing I've been waiting for. And oh my God, the thing's here. What's this week's problem? What's this week's fire that you had to put out? What's this week's fire? We had to, um, our grow panels, the thing that waters our plants. Literally caught on fire. <laughs> it did not get it. It's full of water and liquid. <laughs> um, but the thing that sort of controls those sort of plants, being able to speak to it has been uh, an issue going back and forth. We've just sort of regulated that, getting cameras up, like getting uh I'm more building a built like we're an operating business that's still building being built out. So like yeah. things sort of all over the place. So you're like, oh, we have to, you know, legally have high definition recording of rooms and stuff like that in sort of like a very clean, perfect area. And then this other corner of the building that's sealed off in a construction zone. Yeah. So every day is there's sort of a new lesson of things that we're going through, which is sort of well, especially when you're building a building. Yeah, I mean, we're building a building from a dirt lot. It's awesome. And most people are like, oh, it was this thing before. It's like, it was dirt. And it wasn't, you know what I mean? And it was Mississippi mud. So you have to like dig out Mississippi mud and put a foundation so the building stays put. Totally. That's that's some loose land. Just everything. I mean, it's just like, you know, you're putting in access points, you're putting in security systems, you're doing this, you're putting up fencing, you're getting a new 
you know, this or that. Um, yeah, every every week's a new sort of challenge, but it doesn't seem we we have the people that make the decisions. Steve and our grower Brent Van Zyl and stuff like that are very calm, cool, and collected individual. I think um, I'm I'm wound up a little higher than they are, but so you can normally talk to them and they're just like, "It's cool. We're going to figure this out." And yeah, we've you know every single problem that we've had, we've solved every single problem that's come in front of us, and we'll solve every single one yet again. It's just you're sort of trying not to make mountains out of molehills and all that sort of thing, you know. God bless Morgan. God bless. Um, tell me about, I mean, again, it's also fresh. I, I think every success probably feels amazing for you guys. Is there something you're like particularly psyched about in the next couple of months uh, as this all rolls out for you? Well, <clears throat> Southern sky brands will be completed in the next few months. So having like when our facility is done, that means our labs and our kitchens open. So it yep. means our products go beyond flour to gummies and lotions and tinctures and oils. That's really exciting. So we our, yeah. our product quantity is going to double, triple. Right. And then right the second that happens, we start building dispensaries. You yep. know, we have our first one so mapped out and have talked to the architects and it's beautiful. Um, we have these wonderful uh, an educational format that we have for individuals where it's very, um, I really generally, my general thought of dispensaries is I've never been in a dispensary I like ever. I think yeah. they treat you like cattle and you stand in line and you look at a product and you point it and you just hand it to you. There's no little, like, how do you want to feel? Like how, you know, somebody walks in and here in Washington, like how high do you want to get? What do you want your high to feel like? It's like, and you know, I've stood in there and had trainings and stuff like that where they say, I've got a, you know, I've got headaches or I've got this or I I need to sleep. And they're just like, this will knock you out. It's like they don't want to be knocked out. You know, nobody has a conversation with people. Like we want to have a conversation right. with people and sort of like A, again, remove that sort of stigma. This is a brand new state. And have people understand like these different things do different things for you. This can help sort of relax you and reduce anxiety. This can be good for pain management. This can be good for, you know, well, this will be especially important for medical dispensaries and especially you guys like, right. If the goal, if the goal is to set the bar in Mississippi and nationally, let's, you know, let's, let's be real. Um, cause your sites are bigger than Mississippi, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but if, if the goal is to set this bar, then you, you have to be educating, especially on the medical level. Like you have a huge responsibility to, to know what you're talking about and it's not, you know, bud tenders or associates, whatever you want to call them. Like at the end of the day, like, you know, there, the, there's a very high attrition rate for those types of pos positions. They come, they go, they don't, they, you know, they don't know what they're talking about you sometimes. And, uh, and, and frankly, a lot of these things are subjective to human biology anyway. So like what, what's good for you may not be good for me and, um, you know, all that, but on the med, that's recreation, you know, on the, if, yeah. Higher beware on the recreational side, but on the medical side, you, you do have a responsibility to kind of make sure that your, your patients are being educated on this, especially if they're coming in off opioids, especially if they've been brainwashed by, you know, the war on drugs or whatever, but they um, have, or, or yeah. not, or if they just like, you know, didn't, didn't use pot in their life lifetime or whatever, but. 
So we're trying like, yeah, and that's what we're doing now is we're like, we're breaking that down. We have a tremendous amount of information in our blogs that talk about these sort of benefits and how it can help you, what your dosage gene should be like, what different sorts of THC are like, uh, to the point now where we're talking about like next month. Oh, it is next month. <laughs> we start talking <laughs> what about, year um, is it? Seriously. <laughs> we start talking about the breakdown of like, I, we want people to understand like this is, we plant something. We prune something, we cure something, you know, this thing gets dried. Here's why it goes to a lab. Here's why COAs are important. It explains this lifespan mm -hmm. of like, this is the seed and this is the store. And we're doing this yeah. blog series breaking down. Like we want you to understand when we're talking about a new strain, we're talking about part four. I love it. Part four in the lifespan is here. And this is why it's important. And it helps reinforce the message of like, what we're doing is important, how we're being methodical and like how important it is to grow good medicine and how not all things are created equal. It's meant to be educational and as a product differentiator as well. I love it. You yeah. got a lot on your plate, my man, and a lot to do in the coming months, years. There's, there's a lot to be done, man. Uh, we are very happy to be a part of it with you. I can't wait to take a trip i've never been to mississippi so i'm excited to come down and see the facility once yeah when, when uh, we get... steve sends the private plane to come get me that's right um yep that's how i roll buddy uh but uh, i'm expecting it so i i appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk with us we're again very psyched about what's happening in mississippi and and look forward to, to great things can you uh tell our listeners viewers whoever my mom probably uh where to learn more about southern sky SouthernSkyBrands.com. SouthernSkyBrands.com. Yeah. We'll put that newsletter. We'll keep you updated with everything. Oddly, Canna Planners also helps us with our email newsletter. There's a guy named Will Romeo, the other Will, that helps us with that. He's a superstar. We do it all. We, we do, do it all. all. Not and social media, though, Will. Not social media. <laughs> you thought oh, you're gonna, you know you what? The you... over under on when you were going to mention social media. I think I won. Zach, yeah. Zach was convinced that it would come up earlier in the conversation. I, I, said, told, him, mm, I, I told him I was a little silver <laughs> bullet. I was saving. Uh, fuck social media. This has been another episode of Common Sense of Mia. I've been your host, Will Reed. Please hit the like and subscribe button. We will see you next time. Morgan Engel, you've been an amazing guest. Thank you so Adios, much. Amigos. Peace Thanks. out, everybody.